Hello, Dr. Dyke Drummond here at the home of TheHappyMD.com in beautiful Seattle, Washington. Welcome to the latest episode of the Physicians on Purpose podcast. Tools so you can recognize and prevent your own burnout. Stories of burnout put to its highest and best use. And wellness leadership strategies. Everything you need to be a physician on purpose. Hello again, Dr. Dyke Drummond here with the latest edition of the Physicians on Purpose podcast. And right now, what we're going to do is a session about macro and micro wellness support inside a healthcare system. So the corporate physician burnout prevention strategy, the coal mine strategy. And our guest today is Dr. Marissa Edmonds, MD. She's the VP of Physician Integration at the Christus Trinity Clinic a 60 hospital, 60 hospital system with hospitals in Texas, Louisiana, Arkansas, New Mexico, and overseas. And she's going to talk about their now seven-year history of working to develop a physician wellness support program across a system that big, where every hospital has a different percentage of employed physicians and their own their own culture, and they're even doing work overseas. So, Dr. Edmonds, it's a pleasure to have you on the program. Thanks so much. Great to be here. <laughs> no, let me let me just let's make this personal to start with. So, what made you step up and say, "Hey, I want to play a role in in wellness"? When was that, and what was the first thing that you did that made you think this might actually work? Yeah, absolutely. So, back in 2016, our CEO, who was a physician. Um, was starting to hear about burnout and wellness. And he tasked the board of directors, which I was vice chair at the time. Um, he tasked the board of directors to say, okay, what are we going to do about it? Go figure it out. And, <laughs> um, <laughs> so my partner and I, Dr. Linda Ray, she was chair of the board. She and I sat down and said, what's out there? What do we know? And actually the happy MD kind of helped us along. And, and the number oh, one- wow. <laughs> The number one thing we saw was that we needed leadership support. And we knew we hit the jackpot because we had it. That's who had tasked us to go do this. And so we said, you know, if we can create an a clinic environment, because at that time, our employed group was about 150 physicians and APCs, all mostly clinic-based. We had very few hospitalists at the time. We said we could create a clinic environment that our docs wanted to come work in then we probably were making changes that meant that our staff was happier and that our patients wanted to come receive care there. So we knew if we could fix things for one group, we would be making it better for everyone. And so as we started this program, we said we need to make it something recognizable. And we didn't want to just be the wellness program because that just, it, it sounds empty. It doesn't really convey what we're trying to do. And since we were trying to make things better for the community as a whole, we started talking about honeybees and the honeycomb. And we found <laughs> Proverbs 1624 that said, kind words are like a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. <laughs> and that just spoke to us. So we said, let's do it. And, and so, so, do, so do you call your program Honeycomb? We, we are the Honeycomb Project. Nice. <laughs> yes. Well, I think, and for me, one of the things that we've found in deploying corporate wellness strategies into organizations is it's really important to have a good name and a good logo that has nothing to do with wellness or burnout. 
Honeycomb is magnificent. Uh, the folks at Avera call it the Light Committee. Uh, there's a whole bunch of different people that we've worked with that we've encouraged to give it a brand, give it a Lolo, something that you could put on the on the badge portion of a T-shirt and be proud of it. So that's a really important decision you made way back then that has paid huge benefits. I'm sure of that. It has. And and it also opens it up to inquiry. The Honeycomb Project, what's that? Tell me more. Right. So it's not obvious what it is, which has been fabulous. <laughs> so the first thing we did was we went out and we started talking to our colleagues. We did rounding. We said, hey, we, we want to do wellness, but we want to make sure it's something that is useful to you. Now, just t- time out again. I'm just going to yep. tell you where he did all the right things. Okay. Here's the way it usually goes. And obviously, you're a humble servant leader. But the way it usually goes is these high-powered folks like the vice chair and the chairman of the board sit together and they say, okay, let's figure out what projects we're going to do. And they sit there in the vacuum of their leadership team and make up things to do to the people who are already totally busy. So you have to start out by asking, how can we help, right? What can we do to to ease your burden? So great. So what'd you figure out? (laughs) So obviously EMR was a challenge. It was a sticky point with everyone. So we ended up forming a physician group looking at the EMR to say, where do I pause? Where do I have too many clicks? How could I build a HPI template that is one click and I'm done, you know, and I can just change little things and and make my documentation easier. The other one was how do we communicate with our physicians? We flood their inboxes with emails. It never gets to them. They've got they've got too much coming at them to be reading 20 emails a day. And so we, we streamlined how the emails came out. We cleared the noise of the emails that they were getting. Because the physicians are also part of hospital staff, they were getting the emails that said, hey, there's a jewelry cell in the cafeteria. They don't <laughs> care. Or where's the missing wheelchair? They don't care. So we worked with our partners to say, who is on these distribution lists? And do these people really need to be receiving these types of emails? When we send out emails, we created a color-coded memo system. And we couldn't actually change the color of the emails going out. But in the line item, it says red memo, blue memo, yellow memo. And those all meant things. And we worked with our other leaders in the organization operations team to say, who should be sending out these type of memos? So a red memo is something that you need to stop what you're doing and read this because it's going to change what you're doing for your patients. A yellow memo was something from us, honeycomb, right? Sticking with that that theme of honey's yellow. <laughs> we're going to be doing something and we want you to know about it. Then do these red memo and yellow memo designations sit in the subject line so I can see them in my inbox? Exactly. So so that's called a subject line convention. Another very, very important principle if you are going to make the choice to use email as a communication channel for your wellness work. So tagging something, I usually put things in in square brackets, tagging the subject line so people can see it in their inbox and getting a pledge from them that they'll open it first. That's really, really important. So another great, great job. (laughs) Thank you. But we also looked at the distribution list on those emails. Too. A, a red memo also needed to go to the manager because right. the manager more likely was going to be reading that sort of thing. Whereas maybe, you know, not the yellow memo. They don't necessarily, the manager needs to know about that as much. So working as a team was the other thing underlying how we communicated with our physicians. We also started offering more in-person activities, more virtual activities, really trying to meet people where they were. 
How did they want to receive different types of communication? And one place we found they did not want to be communicated with in mass was the EMR. Um, our EMR had a chat system and people like to send all sorts of things, you know, hey, you need to go select your, your benefits. That's not the place to do that. And so again, it's about eliminating noise, but getting them the information through the right venue in the right way. So that was the big thing that we did. And so you came out of the box with some of these ideas. And what did your leadership say in response? Were they supportive? Were they shocked? Were they talking about money? What was the response from them? Um, a lot of the things we did initially, though, cost nothing, right? right? How do we send out emails differently? How do we clean up listservs? That was easy. It cost no money. And they were happy somebody was doing the work. Some, some of these things they knew needed to be done, but everybody's busy. And so they gave us a little bit of time to be able to work on this on the side. We both had administrative time. And my partner and I were really able to dig in and, and collaborate. As board members, we knew all of the leaders in operations, in HR, in these different departments. And we could say, hey, here's what we're working on. Will you work with us? So we actually had a lot of support in the beginning and still do. Well, and one of the things that you'll find is that when you're talking about IT, when you're talking about inbox, when you talk about EMR, the people who are in charge of those departments are often vilified by the physicians and staff, and they they would like to be a help to the physicians and staff, and they know they can be. So working with them to streamline things so that people don't say as much nasty stuff about them is actually a very supportive thing to do to the rest of the organization. And you'll find that you don't need a budget to get somebody to sit in on your committee and talk about streamlining uh, distribution lists and changing subject line conventions. It's something that they're happy to do because it increases the camaraderie with the other side of the house who's seeing the patients. Exactly. And another thing that we found was that our HR department, as employed physicians and APCs, we had a lot of resources available through HR. We just didn't know they existed. Right. Um, one of the the more common ones being EAP, but even smaller things that they had for us. And so that was part of what we did was working with HR to say, what are the resources? And then let's get them in the hands of, well, you're, you're already paying for it. So we might as well have people utilize them. Right. And let's just put a little teaching plug in for EAP. So, hey, doctors, did you know EAP can take care of your kids and your mom? And all that kind of stuff, any sort of crisis that's distracting you from your work where somebody at home is struggling, talk to EAP because it covers all first degree relatives. And that's just a really important thing to know. Yeah, you're okay. You're not burned out. We're not talking about you, but what about your teenager? <laughs> like that. <laughs> exactly. EAP has been a great resource for us. Right on. Keep going. Tell me more. <laughs> So that was a lot of the work the first couple of years. We started trying to recognize other clinicians for the great work that they were doing. We were doing these obnoxious patient experience surveys. And we said, you know, rather than pointing out who's having bad experiences, we're going to point out the positive. Nice. So we started awarding, awarding the patient choice awards is what we called it. And those that were in the top in their geography, we call them ministries in our organization. So the top people in their ministry were being recognized once a year with um, public celebration. We have quarterly all staff meetings that we would announce the winners there. 
And then we'd give them a little goodie basket. It's amazing how much a squeeze ball and some cookies and a couple of balloons can really brighten someone's day and help them take that next step the next day. So trying to bring that recognition forward. And then we started doing the more common things that everybody says, you know, the mindfulness, the gratitude, but bringing them resources. So we passed out gratitude journals in one of our ministries because that's what they wanted and gave them a short little exercise to start working on. And that was six years ago. I have someone who's told me that they they continue that practice today, which is fabulous. Sure. Then we took the gratitude piece and we flipped it a little bit. And we said, wouldn't it be great to hear the gratitude from your patients? So we put a laminated poster in the clinics. We called it the gratitude board. And we hung it in a place that our doctors, our staff, and patients would all walk by and put dry erase markers out there. And anybody could stop and write something that they were grateful for. And there was a little bit of prompting on it. Really pretty picture with flowers and honeybees on it. So again, sticking with the branding. And the number of managers that would say, you don't have to clean off that board every two weeks. Um, But they would take a picture of it. And we got stories back of, you know, Dr. Smith was so happy when they walked by and a patient had written something on there, just unexpected. Um, Our patients really are grateful for the work that we do. And they just don't always remember to express it or don't have time to express it, even when we're sitting there with them. And it's it's a busy interaction. They want to make sure they're getting their refills and addressing their joint pain, those sorts of things, right? And they forget to say thank you, but they are grateful. Right. So that was, again, another community thing that we were bringing wellness into the picture. So if I am uh, one of your providers, uh, an employee doctor, let's say, and you're a 60 hospital system, so you're spread all over four states. And then where are you located overseas? Uh, we have facilities in Mexico, Chile, and Colombia. Okay. Uh, so everybody speaks Spanish, I take it. <laughs> Pretty yes. much, right? Okay. So if I if I'm a peripheral employed physician and I want to be involved in somehow leading wellness in my institution, how would you support me? We talked about that a little bit before the call. How would you support me? What kind of resources would I be able to get from the mothership and the and the formal wellness program as it exists right now? Yeah, the first thing I would ask is what do your colleagues want? Um, and I'm actually gonna back up a second. You said provider. We don't use that term in our office. Yeah, some people don't. We decided we very intentionally changed the language to clinicians Ah. as part of our wellness of just saying, you know, who are we and recognizing the work that we've done. So I would say, go talk to your colleagues, find out what your local clinicians need. Do they want to have meetings? Do they want to do an outside activity? We had groups that were doing outside service projects. They would take a half day and go work at the food bank as a whole clinic. That was really uplifting and and helped with team building, but was something actually contributing to the community rather than just going and and playing golf or something. And wearing their honeybee (laughs) t-shirts. Right. (laughs) Exactly. So we are happy to provide all sorts of smaller resources and even come visit. We will travel. We have flexibility of being able to say, you know, I'm I'm in San Antonio, but I need to travel to um, Texarkana to go meet with them and hear what they need and what their what their issues are. And so I can just do that. I don't have to get permission for those travel funds, which is fabulous. And, and we can meet people where they are with what they need 
Well, and what you've done is taken that that very, very important first step of starting with questions. And that's how you lead from the mothership out to the periphery. What do you need? Ask your people, talk to people, go out, ask them what's the sand in their gears, what gets in the way of them enjoying their day. Where is the wasted effort? That bottom up creation of the system is so incredibly important. And I would say that probably 75% of groups top down it. And what ends up happening is a bunch of of high ranking mucky mucks decided on a program and now they're going to do it to you. In the middle of your busy day, they're going to ask you to do something you didn't ask for, and it all blows up in their face. So the the very simple choice to ask questions first is so extremely important because if you simply ask the people what they want and then give it to them, that changes the whole top-down dynamic of the organization. So congratulations on staying true to those bottom-up servant leader principles. Now, you said also that You're doing some big programs from the mothership that people can tap into. Tell me a little bit about those. We are. So as I mentioned, when we started in 2016, we had about 150 clinicians we were serving. In 2018, um, our health system purchased another health system and we merged together. And they already had some wellness stuff they were doing, mostly surrounding um, clinician recognitions, awards, orientation, and onboarding. So they had some really great stuff going. So when we integrated together, that created about an 800 clinician group. And so we said, okay, what are you guys doing well? What are we doing well? Let's bring them together and, and cross-pollinate, which was you know fitting with the honeycomb. They adopted our, our branding, which was fabulous. Um, they were being led by Dr. Andrea Ellis. So she's done great work with her group. And something we had always wanted to do on both sides of the house was peer support. We really wanted to be able to get in and help each other in those tough times, whether it's divorce or loss of a parent or they're facing a malpractice case. But we wanted to make sure we did it right. We didn't want to open up anybody to undo you know, legal stressors and make sure it was kept confidential. So that was our big thing that we started in 2020 in the middle of the pandemic. You know, Let's figure out how we support our clinicians. And we launched officially... Um, in 2021, we have a whole group of peer supporters that have been formally trained, and we provide them quarterly feedback sessions, practice sessions. We try to match up based on male, female, having gone through prior experiences, what their specialty is, where they are in their in their career. You know, sometimes it's helpful to have an early career physician paired with a later career physician, but sometimes you want to talk to somebody who's at the right. same time you are. And so it's completely anonymous, it's confidential, and we've had a 73% acceptance rate of those reach outs for that support. And I'm assuming it's virtual, so any peer anywhere can peer any other person in the system, right? Exactly. Cool. Yep. And then you said you're doing monthly lectures? We do. What are some recent topics that have been discussed? So, of course, EMR is always a favorite topic of how you can optimize and make your smart texts and things like that. And what EMR system do you use or is it a gamish? We are on Epic. Ah, okay. Yes. But we also brought in 
someone who I had met at a different conference. So somebody outside the organization, she was very involved with advocacy in her state. So not even one of our states about removing the language when you're getting your state license. Right. And so I brought her in to talk about how you go after something you're passionate about. We're going to have a follow-up lecture about advocacy later this year. We had a lecture about exercise. We had a, a lecture about sleep. So we bring a very diverse group of topics. And then the other really great thing is that because we're a faith-based Catholic organization, we have a lot of resources with our mission department. And we can bring in, we brought in chaplains to talk about how you deal with grief, whether it's grief from a patient experience or, or personal grief. So we did a session on that as well. So those are all virtual and they get CME. It's free CME. So it doesn't get better than that. Yeah. But and let me ask you just a really quick question. Uh, one of the things that I teach and that has been relatively successful is that oftentimes if you're trying to create a corporate burnout prevention strategy, you'll get resistance from the leadership team because they're thinking that the money for the program has to come out of the operational budget. And I find that every hospital has got a foundation. Mm -hmm. And the foundation doesn't know that they can give money to support the wellness program that helps the health and happiness of all the doctors. So inside your system, does the philanthropic side of your hospitals, do they contribute to the monies that are dedicated to the physician wellness program? We have not gone that route yet. Definitely something we've talked about as we have something bigger. Yes. It's there. So for instance, let me just tell a quick story. I have a client in Albuquerque, New Mexico, who is involved in the leadership of the physician wellness program in her hospital. And there, there is a single local a philanthropist that writes $150,000 check every year for the wellness program. And then your COO and CFO don't have to worry about where the money came from. That's fabulous. So think about it and, and think about where that might potentially work inside your system especially in a faith-based system that has probably got a lot of philanthropic action. There's plenty of opportunity there. Just real quick, before we wrap up, when you think about what your plans are for your wellness program and what you've heard are the plans from your, from your senior leadership team, where are your growing edges here going forward into 23-24? Our biggest thing is we want to recruit more people that want to do wellness with us. There's only three of us leaders um, at the very top. And then we've got a, another layer down, but we certainly can't get everywhere for as many of the things that we want to do. So we definitely are trying to recruit more, um, recognizing that we need to give them time to do these activities, but also keep the activities such that we're not pulling them away from patient care too much. Some people don't want to leave that much patient care behind. They really enjoy what they do, but they just kind of want to dabble in this a little bit. So we're trying to create avenues to invite more people to participate. We also, within our organization, we have three residency programs. And all three programs have pieces of wellness that they do with the residents. And we support them. They're mostly led by the, the faculty there. Um, but we have one that's just outstanding. They do something practically every week for wellness, whether it's a social event or a writing activity or whatever. They do something almost every single week. And so we're really trying to figure out how do we share that with the other programs we have in the organization. Yeah, I would say that another key learning for this work is that all wellness is local, meaning 
It's what you do with your team in your practice on your wing and your ward. That is a that is a pod of it's like Glenda the Good Witch in uh, The Wizard of Oz, right? It's this little shining pod, this little ball where you can be a very powerful influence on the health and well-being, the gratitude and the fulfillment and the satisfaction of the people that are close by you. The bigger you get, the harder it is to make that difference. So it's always important to have disseminated pods, disseminated leaders of wellness in every slice of the organization, if you can get it. And then another thing for those people is since they're clinical and they're supporting wellness for everybody else is to support them in their own community of learning, learning collaborative of wellness champions so they can share best practices and support each other as they carry out these dual roles. Absolutely. And that's something that Zoom and that kind of stuff makes possible. But the enemy of all of this is the whirlwind of all the task overwhelm that's everywhere that we are. And I'm glad that you have a single uh, EMR. Now, I'm not going to say anything about Epic because everybody's got their own opinion about Epic. <laughs> but at least it's one EMR system system wide. So that's a manageable thing. Uh, whereas if you had absorbed six hospitals that all have different systems, that could be different. Let me ask you just a quick Epic specific question. I know that Epic can be, you can purchase uh, the ability to use Epic that can be programmed to check on people to see if they're logging in from home to do the records and things like that. Do you track those things and do you do outreach to those people? We do. We do. And that's where our our Epic team. So one of the beautiful things about our organization is we have dyad leadership throughout all the different levels. And so our physician informaticists will look at that data and will call us up and say, hey, it looks like somebody is spending a whole heck of a lot of pajama time. Let's dig in. And then I actually used to have a role in operations. So I'll reach out to the operations team and say, tell me how their clinic day goes. Is there something going on? Is there somebody who's you know, out on FMLA that they're having to cover for their buddy? Or is this, there's something we really need to jump in and support them as a person versus operationally or, or in a different capacity? We have support from all the different facets. They look at the the pajama time. They look at those metrics and they alert us if they see a, a negative trend or a change in someone who used to be on top of everything and now suddenly their in-basket is overflowing. And then last but not least, are you tracking anything that could suggest that there's been an impact from your wellness program? And if you are tracking it, what are you, what are you watching and, and how are the numbers moving? Yeah, really, we're... We're tracking a couple of things. Engagement, we do an annual engagement survey, and we are seeing that the numbers continue to to slowly increase year over year. And is that a commercial survey or is it something you made for yourself? It is a commercial survey. By who? Um, We're currently using Glint. 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 It's also the vendor we use for um, our patient experience. Okay, gotcha. Uh, They are a national company. So we have some benchmarking against other organizations as well. Right on. And we are there in the the top echelons there. We're in the 97th percentile, I believe, right now across the organizations. And what else are you tracking? We do a Maslach burnout inventory every two years for all of our employee clinicians. And that one, the most recent one done last summer, we definitely have some exhaustion um, across our clinicians, but we have not gotten to the point where we're truly burned out. We still are are seeing patients as patients. We still see hope in what we're doing. And um, our clinicians really connect to why they're a doctor and the mission that they're serving here 
within our organization. So that's something positive that we really try to connect back to as much as we can. And just a quick teaching point, three symptoms of burnout, exhaustion, cynical and sarcastic. What's the use? The 63% current burnout average rate in the United States of America, the number one symptom is always exhaustion. And uh, most of the people that I work with and most of the people that are that are burned out are tired and they'll say, you know what? I still love my patients. I still love being a doctor. I just don't like the way this job drags me down. So hang on just a second. So one of the things I know is that most senior leadership teams eventually will want a hard metric to continue to be enthusiastic about the wellness program. Burnout measurements won't be enough. So what is the hard metric? What is the hard indicator that your leadership teams are using to give them faith that this investment in your wellness program is actually an investment and not just an expense? Yeah, our our biggest outcome metric is our retention or our turnover rate. So our turnover rate was 10% uh, five years ago. And last year, it was down to 8.5%. And so we figure for every one that we prevent from leaving, um, we are saving almost half a million dollars. So that's definitely good news to the organization. And we definitely are not spending half a million dollars on our wellness initiatives. Most of the things we're doing are free or minimal costs. Right. And I would say, too, that I, I predict that the kingpin metric will re, will devolve to retention for all medical groups that have a corporate strategy in the very near future, simply because of the demographics of the U.S. physician population. Uh, 45% of American doctors are over the age of 55. We're going to be in an incredible shortage situation real soon. So being able to recruit and retain doctors is going to depend upon you having a visible and effective physician wellness program. And it's even more important on the nursing side where their retirement cliff is even more serious than the doctors. Yes. <laughs> so so tell me a story. Tell me just one story before we go. Tell me a story of somebody who came up to you and told you how you made a difference for him. Oh, goodness. There's so many. I don't just, know one. just one. <laughs> so we had, I already told the gratitude wall story. That's really our, our highlight. Just, I mean, who knew putting a poster up on the wall could really change someone's day? One of the early things that we did working with our hospitals was to say, do our doctors still have a place where they can can have that collegial environment? And we made sure that each one of our hospitals, they were happy to work with us on this, that their doctor's dining room was there. It was stocked. It was private. And it, yes. there was food available 24-7. And someone did reflect back to us that that was, it was a small thing. They went by to get a bottle of water. I mean, you're, you're not talking something, you know, no steak dinner or anything like that. Wanted a bottle of water at four o'clock in the afternoon and they walked by and it was there. And that really just took one less stressor off of their plate that day. Never underestimate the power of food to influence the, (laughs) the, the good feelings of a doctor. They're all just big residents. So what I always recommend is cookies and their favorite coffee drink. And, you know, you'll you'll be their favorite till the end of the time. Well, this has been awesome. Uh, I'm glad to actually have the ability to talk to somebody who has multiple touch points across a big system and appears to be making a really cool difference. So any last things you'd like to do or say or ask for right now to be complete for this particular session of the podcast? You know, when we started off, we just said we wanted to make sure we were doing things that actually mattered. 
And that with that focus, that's what guides our next strategy, our next thing that we invest in. And so we are so happy with what we've been able to do, but we know that the sky's the limit. You know, we're, we unfortunately can't fix all of the big problems, but we like to think that we're at least making everybody's day-to-day a little bit better. And I just want to emphasize for the third time, the reason it works this way is because you started by asking questions. You didn't sit in the academic or intellectual arrogance of knowing what to do with and to your people because you can't know. You can't know what a nurse needs to do her job better in a pediatric ward 500 miles away. You have to ask and you have to give them what they need. And if you do that, if you do that, it will always work because you worked with the people to give them something that they either needed to start doing or needed more often to be able to stop doing. <laughs> right. right on. So Dr. Marissa Edmund Emmons, MD, she is the VP of Physician Integration at the at Christus Trinity Clinic, 60 hospitals, four states, three countries overseas. OMG. Thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Emmons. And uh, this is Dyke Drummond at the Physicians on Purpose podcast. Until I see you in the next episode, keep breathing. Have a great rest of your day.